This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a tremendous prayer. It's my prayer that we can all live up to that. It's a big job. It's a great challenge. But boy, is it worthy of our lives. And uh, so I'm just glad that uh, you came to church this morning and, and gave yourself a chance to get tuned into things that can change your life. And uh, I just want to welcome you. My name is Ron. I'm the senior pastor of New Life. And if this is your first time here and I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to meet you uh, before you get out of here. I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards. Please come by and say hello. I do want you to know this is a place where we learn. And uh, those of you who come here every Sunday, that's not news to you. You know that. It's, it's a place of great challenge. It's a place of great learning. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the most practical subjects of life this morning, and that is strength. How to be strong where we're weak. And the Bible has some great things to say about that. In fact, it could be said that the purpose of Scripture, the purpose of the Bible, is that uh, God might make us strong in the areas where we're weak. And uh, so I want to welcome you into that process. On the inside of your program that you got on the way in the door, uh, you will find a sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes. That's a learning tool for you. Uh, I already have the answers, okay? So uh, (laughs) there you go. You can uh, fill them out, and by the time we're done, we'll be even. How's that? We'll have a great time in that. So I want to welcome you into that process. We are in the middle of a series of sermons called The Rhythms of Life. And uh, for visual purposes, if we had six drums up here behind me, um, we're learning how to beat regularly on those six drums because a rhythm is something that recurs at regular intervals. And all six of these are extremely powerful and important in life. And in a life, any person who doesn't beat regularly on these six drums will end up being only a shell of the person that they could have been if they would have beat on those. And so, very important. Now, I came across a story this week that I wanted to share with you because it too talks about a rhythm of life. And I'm not sure I could swear to the total... Uh, truthfulness of this story, but you cannot miss the point nevertheless. Are you ready? When God created the animals, he decided to begin with the dog. So after forming the first dog, he said, sit here all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, That's a long time to be barking. I'd prefer only 10. Can I give you back 10 years of barking at people? And God agreed. So next he created the monkey and he said, Entertain people, do tricks, and make them laugh. For this I will give you 20 years of life. And the monkey said, Monkey tricks for 20 years? It's a long time to perform. If it's all the same to you, I'd like to do what the dog did. Can I give 10 years back? God said, okay. So next God created the cow and said, you must go into the field with the farmer all day long and work under the sun, have calves and give milk to support the farmer's family. 
For this, I give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow replied, that's kind of a tough life you're giving me. For 60 years, I'd much prefer to do it for 20. Can I give back the other 40? And once again, God agreed. Last of all, God created man and said, Eat, sleep, play, and enjoy your life. For this, I give you 20 years. And the man said, Only 20? Um, that sounds like a great life. Could you possibly give me the the... My 20 and the 40 the cow gave back, the 10 the monkey gave back, and the 10 the dog gave back. Let me see, that would make 80. And God said, I really don't think that's such a good idea. But the man insisted, and so God finally said, okay, but always remember you asked for it. (laughs) So that's why for 20 years we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks and entertain our grandchildren. And the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everybody who goes by. So there you have it. (laughs) Hopefully, we have a better rhythm to life than that. So let's take a look at what God has for us. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've learned a couple of Very short verses from the Bible, but very important ones. They're going to be on the video screen for those of you who are new. But for those of you who have been here before, I will start and you see if you can finish. Are you ready? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Yes. And then, do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. Two very important concepts. So in all that I say to you this morning, I just want to remind you that the whole purpose of life on this earth, and certainly the the purpose of being in church, is that we might draw near to God. Because His promise to us is that He will draw near to us. And, And the formula for overcoming the things in our lives that are tough, the formula... We learned last week, it's not, walking with God is not so much staying away from a list of things. It's in drawing near to God and and developing the rhythm of virtue. It's actually building into our lives healthy rhythms of virtue. And it's overcoming our natural tendency to do evil with good. So I was praying about that and meditating on that this week. I realized a a very important concept, and I I believe I included it in your notes, and it's the first principle there. Life is not for the weak and the timid. I did just a little statistical research this past week. Let me give you some illustrations of why life is not for the weak and timid. A little over 37,000 people were killed in vehicular accidents last year in our country alone. That means 37,000 families didn't get any notice. That's pretty tough. People right in our audience this morning have walked that path. No notice, just a phone call. And now what do I do? 
friends, there aren't any really, really good answers to that question. In our country, there are a little over 1.5 million people who are addicted to cocaine. What is more, this is Sunday, right? On this day and every other day of this week, there will be approximately 5,000 new people in just our country alone who will try cocaine for the first time. Little over 14 million people in just our country abuse or are addicted to alcohol. 14 million people. Hmm. Just under 30,000 people in just our country alone last year took their own lives. Do you know what that means? You're going to sit here an hour and a half this morning during this entire church service. And while you and I are sitting here, five people in our country will have taken their own lives in just that time. Now, what was the principle I just gave you? Life is not for the weak and timid. You see... There's no reason for those 5,000 people, no justifiable reason for those 5,000 people to try cocaine today. There's no reason for even one of the 1.5 million of them who are addicted to cocaine to actually be addicted to cocaine. By the way, does making something illegal keep people from doing it? What do you think? No. You're changing the law, it doesn't change anybody. There's, not, there's no justifiable reason for even one of the 14 plus million people who abuse and or are addicted to alcohol for them to be that way. How'd they get that way? Every single one of those people ended up being overwhelmed by something in life. Some of them started out with a phone call from the highway patrol. And they just couldn't deal with it. And so they said, when I drink, the pain goes away. So I'll drink today and tomorrow and the next day. And if I drink myself out of existence, I don't care. At least I don't hurt. For some of those people who abuse alcohol, it was something as seemingly harmless as an invitation from a friend to try alcohol, cocaine. It doesn't make any difference what it is. And it seemed harmless. And there was kind of plenty of peer pressure to go with it. And they didn't know that that day they would open a door to a monster that would step in and take control of their life. There's all sorts of reasons how people end up there. But the one thing they all have in common is they all encountered something in life that was bigger than they were. It overwhelmed them. And they found themselves in a place of weakness in life. I want to talk about that 
Whether you've ever tried cocaine is immaterial this morning. Whether you've ever abused alcohol is immaterial this morning. Or whether you've ever lost a loved one in a vehicular accident is immaterial. All of us have encountered things in life that have the power to overwhelm us. I want to talk to you this morning about how to experience the strength of God in life. Because sooner or later, every one of us is going to need that. That I can guarantee. So, what's God's promise? Here's God's promise to all of us because we all fit in the category of the weak and the timid. I can tell you that for sure. Here's God's promise. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Let's read together. Ready? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's read it one more time. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Think you can memorize that this week? Look at me and see if we can say it together. Ready? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. I want to take you to a core Bible teaching that shows us how we can tap into God's superhuman and supernatural power in three very, very important areas of our life where we all tend to be weak. They are the basic struggles of life. And so let's go to our core Bible teaching. It's the entire eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm not going to be able to read all all of the verses of this chapter. It's an absolutely fantastic chapter, but I'm going to hit some highlights and the ones that particularly talk to strength this morning. And so it begins, it begins like this. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Would you underline and circle the words, no condemnation? Paul's about ready to unpack for us something that enables us to live life without guilt and without condemnation. Would that be worth anything to you and me? That's huge. That's absolutely huge. So Paul says, it's possible to live in this life and live without that condemning spirit on the inside. And then he goes on to say, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, you can't miss the fact that there's the word power is in there twice. So there are two powers, and, and they are completely different. But let's take a look at them. The first power is this. It's the power of sin. And what, where does sin lead? Paul very clearly says, the power of sin leads to death. And then there is the power of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit, where does it lead to? It leads to life. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at that passage and go, uh, why would anyone choose sin then? Correct? Because if sin leads to death, no one wants, there, wants to go there. Why would anyone choose that? And yet the truth is we all look in the mirror and go, I did. Why did I choose it? Well, here's the answer. 
If you look in that verse, does the Bible say that sin is weak or powerful? It uses the word power. Do you realize there's a power that comes with sin? Yeah. Sin always gives us the power to do something that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do. You talk to people who drink and they say, you know what I like about drinking? (laughs) I get the courage to do stuff I wouldn't do if I didn't drink. I'm not sure I would have got married. But I got drunk and I asked out my girlfriend and got drunk again and proposed and she accepted and here we are. You know, the interesting thing about any form of sin, I don't care. I don't care if it's embezzling, if it's alcohol, if it's cocaine, if it's gossip. I don't care what it is. All sin gives us an immediate burst of power. That's why we do it. But here's the thing about the power of sin. It's short, and it fades quickly, and it begs to be repeated. Every sin that you can name is that way. For those of you who are nutritionists, I liken it to the power of sugar. It's short, it fades quickly, and it what? Begs to be repeated. On the other hand, the power of the Spirit. God's Spirit has power, but it's not an instantaneous power. In fact, the power of the Spirit is more of a a slow and steady rise that comes into our lives. that, That when we participate in, the longer we stay in it, the stronger it gets. And its power doesn't fade, and it doesn't always have to be repeated. Big difference between these two. One is like the power of sugar on the body, and the other is like the power of real nutrition. Just think about that for a minute. If you eat real food, do you get a sudden burst of energy or kind of a long rise in energy? Long rise in energy. And it stays with you for a long time, and you don't crash on the other end of it. On the other hand, if you go... You know, eat five candy bars, right? And pump yourself full of sugar and caffeine. What happens? You get an immediate boost of energy. It lasts for a little while. And when it ends, you go straight off the end, right? Yeah. Remember last week I said in nature, God has put wonderful illustrations of eternal truths. There's another one. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the difference between the power of the Spirit and the power of sin. And Paul says that it's possible for us to tap into the Spirit of God. In fact, that's what God wants. Let me illustrate it a little bit different way. There's a cycle that leads people, virtually everyone in this room has heard, that if you go to AA, they're going to teach you that you need to have some form of higher power. Correct? Probably all heard that. What's the cycle that leads us there? Well, the cycle that leads us there is this. 
We start out, and again, I apologize. I'm really not trying to pick on people who struggle with alcohol. I could illustrate it with any disease, but it's just that this is a little bit more easy to illustrate. So we start out and we think, okay, I could drink, but I don't have to be a drunkard, right? I will control this in my life. And so we drink and we feel empowered. We kind of like that feeling. Get a little buzz, right? And, and, it, and we feel empowered to do things that we wouldn't have the courage to do um, otherwise, including acting crazy and doing funny things, right? And we laugh and think life is great. And we like that feeling, so we do it again. And we like that feeling, and we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And we do it because we feel empowered, but somewhere in there, an interesting transition takes place. We go from feeling empowered by this to this sin starting to exercise power over us. Let me talk about people who embezzle or shoplift or whatever. The first time, it's like, I really need that, but I can't afford it but the company is big and they won't miss it and their pockets are deep and I'm sure it's a $20 item, right? It's not going to affect the profit and loss statement. Not significantly. And so, when the opportunity is right and the time is right, they take it. Or they alter the records. But it's not long after that until they find themselves in that same situation again. That worked pretty well. And so they do it again. And they do it again. And if you've ever talked with somebody who was caught after embezzling 30, 40, 100,000, it really doesn't make a difference. You know what they say? I got used to the extra paycheck. And what started out as something that they did to feel empowered ended up exercising a power over them. So guess what happens? We all go, <clears throat> i got to get control of this. This is scary. And so I'm, not, I'm never, ever going to do this again. And it lasts in some of our lives for three days. In some cases, three weeks. In some cases, three months. But the monster always comes back. And then we go to AA. And we hear the deal is you need to tap into a higher power. I'm going to tell you about the one and only real higher power that you can ever tap into. Except I'd like to help you skip some of those steps so that you don't get to that point of desperation before you tie in and you tap in. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So three specific places where we need to tap in to the strength and the power of God. And here it is. Let me read to you. Strength in temptation. Let's go back and read um, 
No, moving forward, thank you. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Paul's writing to people who are Christians. Why? Because you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Would that qualify as the higher power? Absolutely, it is the higher power. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Now, here's what I want you to underline. It's through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Now let's go back one screen and I want to show you a principle. God's going to talk to us about strength in temptation. And basically this struggle is is the first struggle in life. And that is, am I going to go with God? Am I going to follow God? Or am I going to go against God and not follow God? Every single person sitting in this room has that struggle every single day. It never goes away. It's part of this life. It is the basic struggle of life. And every day the voice of God speaks to you and says, follow me. And the voice of your sinful nature says, no, you don't want to do that. That's, that's old-fashioned, dull, and boring. There are better ways to live than following God. And there's the temptation. And so that's our struggle. And it's only through the power of God's Spirit that we can overcome that struggle. That scenario that I just talked to you about. Let me give you a different one. And by the way, we have people in our audience who struggle with virtually everything that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I'm not picking on anybody. We're just all sinners. It's kind of easy picking. You understand what I'm talking about? So let's take the sin of pornography. Virtually every guy that I've talked to that struggles with pornography says it started out as a simple curiosity. And so they logged into a website or went to a bookstore and bought a magazine or whatever the gateway was. And it was, hmm, that's interesting. Actually, that's enticing. And all the thoughts that came with it. And so, what is it about the power of sin? Short-lived and it begs to be what? Repeated. And so, log in again. Log in again, log in again, and pretty soon I'm logging in every day. And what the guy found out was the first day that he logged in, he opened the door and let the monster out. And now the monster controls his life. Yeah. Strength in temptation. Now here's what I want you to understand. The key issue in temptation to strength during temptation, the key issue is what? Say it out loud. The key issue is what? Control. Control. Every day, every time you're tempted, you have a choice to make. You come to a fork in the road, and one side of the fork leads to the Spirit of God and yielding control of your life to the Spirit of God. And when you yield control of your life to the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God leads to what? life or you can lead or you can submit your life to the control of your sinful nature and the power of sin leads to what death Death. there's nothing i can do 
There's nothing I can say to you that will remove that fork in the road that you're going to encounter multiple times every day. It's part of living on planet Earth. I can't take the fork out of the road, but God says I can give you the power to go down the right path. And friend, you cannot make that choice on your own. Sooner or later, you will encounter temptations in your life that are bigger than you are, and it will not be by your own power and your own self-control that you will always take the right path in life. That's not possible. We are fallen human beings with inherent weaknesses in our lives. And when the Spirit of God comes in, if we will yield control to Him... By the way, what was the last song we just sang? I surrender all to you. The key issue in temptation, to finding strength in temptation, the key issue is always control. And I just want to encourage you today, as your pastor, as your friend, as a fellow human being who has many forks in my road every single day, having to make those same choices every single day, I want to encourage you, invite the Spirit of God into your life every morning and invite God and say, God, in this day, I'm going to have to make many choices. And my one prayer for this day is that, that I would yield my life to your control. Because when I listen to you, I end up on the path that leads to life. But when I listen to myself, or I try to make the decisions by my own strength and by my own willpower, somehow I end up on the wrong path. And that's, that's not a place I want to be. So there is the first one, strength and temptation. Let's talk about the second area of strength that God talks to us about, and that is strength in prayer. And by the way, the basic struggle here is connecting with God. It's not natural for human beings to connect with somebody that they cannot see, cannot hear, and cannot touch. Have you noticed that? That's not real natural. And so we need help in connecting to God. The key issue here is, is, is connecting with God. That's our basic struggle. So what does Paul say about this? The Holy Spirit helps us in our what? Weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Can you relate to that? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that, all right? But I want you to underline the word heart, okay? Or hearts. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. Why? Because here's the deal. The key issue to strength in prayer is the alignment of our hearts with God's heart and will. See, sometimes pastors stand up and say, you know the great thing about prayer? You can move the hand of God through prayer. It's as if when you get on your knees, God becomes your servant. Don't buy that for a minute. Would the creator of heaven and earth ever give you that kind of power? What do you think? I hope he doesn't. For for all the rest of us, I hope he doesn't. 
Can you imagine what a messed up place this would be if human beings could actually control God? That's crazy. The purpose in prayer is not for you and I to get on our knees and tell God what we want and what we think He ought to do. And God goes, oh, thank you. I don't know how I'd make it without you. Now, the purpose of prayer is for us to get on our knees, pour out our hearts to God, and then say, God, would you please align my heart with your heart and your will? Because when I get my way in life, it, it makes a mess out of things. But when you get your way in life, it brings order to chaos. And God, that's what I really want. Wow. Now, I had you underline or circle the word hearts because here's the insight into prayer that I think is really tied to strength. In order for prayer to be powerful and to actually have supernatural results in our lives, it has to take place at a heart level, not a head level. I want you to think about that for a minute. It very clearly says, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When people groan, do they groan from their head or their heart? What do you think? That's a heart deal, isn't it? He goes on to say, and the Father who knows all hearts. Write this down in your notes. When you pray, when I pray, the Holy Spirit is not monitoring what's going on in my head. The Holy Spirit is not even monitoring what comes out of my mouth. The Holy Spirit is monitoring what's going on in my heart. And which of those does the Holy Spirit actually translate to God? It translates what's going on in my heart. So guess what happens when I pray with my head and not with my heart? The Holy Spirit says to the Father, nothing going on. No message to translate here. It's mere words. Wow. Would you think about that for a minute? Let that kind of matriculate down. So if I get a memorized prayer and I go through my memorized prayer, whatever it is, now I lay me down to sleep, sermons long and subjects deep. No, no, wait a minute. That's not what I'm supposed to be saying, right? You know the rest of that prayer? If he quits before I wake, I pray my neighbor will give me a shake. There you go. All right. It really doesn't make any difference what the memorized prayer is. If I'm just reciting something I've memorized, what's the Holy Spirit got to do? The Holy Spirit listens to that and goes, that's all head stuff. I'm not even sure it's head stuff. You know, it's not about a flowery prayer. It's about my heart and God's heart connecting and being on the same wavelength. That's what that is. And when that happens, and when I come to God, and my heart is fully involved, and my heart wants to talk to God, and my heart wants to say things to God, but I don't even know what to say, I don't even know how to say it, and I'm, and I'm groaning, and I'm agonizing, and in my heart, I, I'm just, I just don't have words to say what I really want to say to God. Then... The Holy Spirit steps in 
and begins to beat on that rhythm, on that drum of strength in my life. And he begins to to take what's going on in my heart and he begins to share it with God. And the amazing thing is he takes it through a sieve. And you can see the sieve there. It's in harmony with God's will. And he begins to take what's going on in my heart and he begins to get it in alignment with God's will. And the amazing thing is, when I come out of prayer, who is more changed, God or me? You got it. There is no shortcut to that sort of strength in prayer. Is everybody on board with that? Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's what God calls us to. And by the way, When we get to that point in prayer, that's a great place. That's a great place. Let's talk about number three. Strength in trials. We all have those, correct? Sure. What's the key issue here? Now, we talked about strength in temptation. That's about, am I going to follow God or not? We talked about strength in prayer. Am I going to connect with God or not connect with God? Well, here, the struggle is trusting God. Am I really going to trust God? And what does Paul say about this? He says, now, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And once again, I can only hit the highlights of this passage, but bear with me for the next five minutes as we hit those highlights. He doesn't say, and we know that only good things happen to those who love God. Didn't say that, did he? What did he say? We know that God causes everything to work together for good. I want you to write this word in your margin. It's the word redeem. It's a word that occurs often in the Bible. And if I could give you just kind of the shortcut definition of what redeem means. Redeem means to take something, especially something bad, and to redeem it and turn it into something good. Now I want you to know that the God who created the heavens and the earth is not responsible for everything that goes on in this earth because there is the power of sin also at work in this world, at least for now. But here's what God says. God says, no matter what goes on in this world, I have the power to redeem it. It doesn't mean it came from Him. My goodness, when someone gets raped, that didn't come from God. But you know what God said? Even as something as ugly as a rape. If you will bring that to me, and you will trust me with it. My heart is broken just like your heart is broken. It was never my intent for you. It was never my intent for this world. But God says, if you trust me with it, I will bring good from it. Does it take a superhuman power to turn something as horrible as a rape into something that actually could bless? Friends, I can't promise to do that for you. 
But God can. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about whatever it is that would lead people to all those addictive sort of behaviors that we talked about at the beginning. It, it could be that they were abused as children. It could be they got married and, and their wife or their husband ran out on them and they found them sleeping with their best friend. I, I, I don't know what it could They could be unjustly fired from a job they had worked for to get all of their lives and three months into it, the boss comes in and fires them unjustly and, and, and what they've worked for for 15 years is gone in a heartbeat. I mean, the list is endless of the things that cause us somehow to walk down that path of destruction. Whatever it is, God says, would you bring it to me and will you trust me with it? It's, friend, it's never going to be that God would say, I chose this for you. What kind of father would choose that for his kids? God didn't choose that. And you know what God says? If you bring it to me and you trust me with it, I will turn that somehow in your life to a blessing. Will you ever look back at it and go, oh man, I am so glad that happened to me. I didn't say that. God didn't say that. But nevertheless, you will be able to see blessing where there used to be hurt and pain. Is that natural for us to do? Are you kidding? We're part turtle. And when something happens to us like that, we pull in our legs, our tail, and our head. And we say, I'll come out when I feel better. And do we t- feel better? No. You know, my dad used to say to me, Ron, the reason you don't feel any better is because the company inside that shell is not very good. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> Never forgotten that lesson. Wow. I know that the things that we've talked about are huge challenges in all of our lives. But the truth is, when we encounter a trial, I want you to hear this, when we encounter a trial, on the other side of that trial, we come to a fork in the road and we will either trust God more or we will trust Him less. And the choice is going to be ours. And if we choose to trust God more and do what we said in that song, I surrender It wasn't all but my trials, was it? I surrender all to you. That God brings us to this wonderful place of peace and strength and freedom and joy in spite of what we may have had to go through. So, in the middle of all of this, God has tucked a wonderful promise. And it's the promise I want to leave you with this morning. Why would God do all of this? Why would God say, I will meet you in temptation. My spirit will be with you in temptation. And I will provide you the power to live in victory over that temptation. Why would God say, I will meet you at the place of prayer. And when you're really praying with your heart, I will come in and I will translate that. And I will translate it into action in your life. And why would God say, I will meet you in that place of trial. And I promise I will redeem every trial that comes into your life. Why would God do that? Well, 
in the middle of those three places, there's this wonderful passage. All who are led by the Spirit of God are what? I want you to underline that, are children of God. But then he goes on to say, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You may have grown up in a church where basically the pastor started every sermon with, Thou shalt not. And the rest of it was a diatribe on some other thing that you were doing. I was sharing with some people yesterday as I was driving into Boise, Idaho one time. There's a church marquee board out there, and I'm sure the pastor was trying to do the right thing, but boy, he could use some coaching. Because I, I know he, I'm sure he was preaching uh, uh, through a series of sermons on the seven cardinal sins, but the title of the sermon series was Seven Ways to Go to Hell. I'm thinking, I bet that packed him in. (laughs) Now, I want you to look up here. You have not received a spirit that makes you what? Fearful slaves. You don't have to be afraid of God. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And I want to take you back to what Bob said to you in communion this morning. So, now we call him Abba. I I, I want you to just draw a line out to your margin and write the word Daddy. Because Abba is the Hebrew form of Daddy. So we call him Daddy. Father. For his spirit joins with our spirits to what? To affirm that we are what? Such a wonderful place to live the sons and daughters of the God of heaven and earth. Say two things to you. And thing number one. If you've never made that choice, if you've never said, Lord, from this day on, I will follow you. From this day on, I will become a follower of Jesus. From this day on, I will become a Christian. I want to invite the Spirit of God to come into my life so that I can have strength in that place of temptation, so I can have strength in that place of prayer, and so I can have strength in that place of trial. I want God's Spirit into my life. If you've never made that choice, I want you to make it this morning. There's no reason for you to leave this place and not make that choice. I certainly don't want you to be one of those millions of people who are overwhelmed by life and turn to something like cocaine or alcohol or suicide or whatever else as as an answer to a problem that can't be answered by those things. What you're looking for is you're looking for God's Spirit in your heart and in your life. And it's available. God's available to you this morning. So I want you to make that choice. And then for those of us who have made that choice, we have a song and a dance this morning. And it is our prayer to our Father. Enjoy. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.